How would you define the Mile High Hustle? Well, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Please tell me. Denver's changed a great deal over the past 30 years. 10 years. Five years. Heck, I've noticed some new things pop up since last month. But if you look a little closer, you can see growing businesses, new ideas, and interesting people making these changes happen. So here it is, a podcast about the businesses, ideas, and people shaping Denver today. And we're calling it Mile High Hustle. Mile High Hustle. Mile High Hustle. The Mile High Hustle is the grind. Working your ass off and networking like crazy in like the real way. They work like crazy so they can get the weekend off to go skiing. I think it's something different than what's going on in places like Silicon Valley. The brakes are better in Colorado. Every other week in the lead up to Denver Startup Week, the largest free entrepreneurial event of its kind, we're releasing a new episode to help you navigate this dynamic new business landscape. How would you define the Mile High Hustle? You know, when I think the word hustle, I think about how hard it is to work to do anything that you've never done before or that no one's done before. Colorado continues to lead the nation in, in innovation and in, in, in change. Mile High Hustle, the Denver Startup Week podcast is being directed by Denver Startup Week, hosted by myself, Paul Caroli, and produced by House of Pod. Episode one is coming on June 25th. Subscribe now and find it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I appreciate you taking the time, Governor. Well, good luck with your hustle. <laughs> okay. July 21st, 1969, Neil Armstrong becomes the first person to walk on the moon after Buzz Aldrin double dared him. Welcome to The Revisionist. I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. And I don't know, I'm seeing double. Uh, four crusties. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Not even what are you calling just... crusty? No. It's a, it's a reference to the Simpsons television program. Uh, we have... The lowest form of, like, late 20s, early 30s white boy humor is just <laughs> quote The Simpsons without... No, not even a Simpsons shit post where you like add something. <laughs> that would be too much no, context, Zach. How it. dare you? <laughs> um, we have returning to the show, uh, Shannon Camp, actress. Uh, brilliant. So glad to have you back. Thank you. Oh, yay. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back, especially after I went on for way too long last time. I was not sure I would be invited again. <laughs> no, of course. It was, uh, you were referring to the Alexander Hamilton episode, which was a ton of fun, and listeners should check that out. Yeah, uh, the reason I'm saying it was so long is if you haven't listened, I actually wrapped the entire soundtrack. <laughs> so they were very sweet, indulgent so with me. You actually can't listen because we were hit with a lot of copyright <laughs> <Yeah>. strikes. <laughs> We've... I'm the only person Lin-Manuel Miranda has ever blocked on Twitter. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> um, and joining us for the first time uh, is a wonderful writer with a new ebook out uh, that we will talk about in a little bit. Uh, one of my very favorite writers, Jen Colick. Hi. <laughs> and there's no reason why the two of us are here together no <laughs> overarching thematic no. reason that no. would be ridiculous it's just a very 
special episode. I, I think uh, when Brian pitched this episode a couple weeks ago, I described it as an oops all girlfriends episode. Yeah, that was, that was when it. Brian pitched this episode, he was standing on the bow of a ship holding a beautiful necklace over the edge, threatening mm-hmm. to drop it. And we said, yeah, we'll, we'll do the episode. God, please come back aboard. You're scaring us. Which... Yeah. Thank goodness, because I cannot swim and I hate boats. Um, so, of course, I decided uh, to to confront my fears to talk about the king of boats, uh, the Titanic. The king of boats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what it means in Latin. Is that? <laughs> I... <laughs> I'm trying to co- I just finished a tale of two cities for the mutiny book club and so I'm trying to come up with some kind of like what is it Louis the 16th like French Revolution <laughs> something or other about the Titanic being guillotined I don't know you could I guess make an argument that it was the god of the boats because of Titan mm-hmm. and I mean it did kind of get all broken up like it just got guillotined a little bit mm-hmm. and now uh, it's dead spoiler alert um, listeners, if you're new to the show, what we do each episode is, uh, we take a look at a person or event from history and one person, uh, presents the official, uh, government sanctioned version of events, USDA approved, uh, and another person comes up with a bonkers alternate history, uh, and the winner gets to become the truth. Um, I don't know why I said it, like a an amateur ghost um but because you're not a professional ghost yet no not yet trying (laughs) still working on i'm still working on getting i'm a journeyman ghost that's the thing but i mean if you become a professional ghost then you can't compete in the paranormal olympics Oh yeah, yeah. No, with their strict amateur-only rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what it uh, like just something right to now think about. Is that we're all advising Brian to be dead? <laughs> <laughs> I see. I understand. The podcasting now. world has got really cutthroat lately. These past few years have been buck wild. <laughs> the thing is, I got to start some business and then deliberately leave it unfinished, which is actually kind of my thing. So that's gonna <laughs> go. You're halfway quick. there already. What, yeah. the, what, what did we talk about last time? What was the topic? <laughs> uh, last time we talked about T.E. Lawrence. Um, oh, yes, that's right. And uh, the alternate history one out where uh, T.E. Lawrence, uh, in addition to a lot of other things, sort of uh, roamed the world engaging in music festivities and doing a shitload of drugs. I feel like has- the... The, the 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 sort of alternate history where somebody becomes like a roaming like musician kind of a rolling stones or michael jackson type figure is an oldie for this show but a reliable a reliable winner yeah i think caligula that's... cleopatra and now te lawrence all have entered that great tradition and to a certain extent bertrand russell i think yeah also. that's true yeah um he's he kind of like more... the the dude meets Tyler Durden from Fight Club. That sounds like a very unappealing character. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, though, we're not 20-year-old boys, so... Tyler Durden is a heavy spice to the, put in any soup. Our guest, our guest for the... Um, our guest for the Bertrand Russell episode was just the personification of IMDB comment sections, so... <laughs> 
real quick, since it's so rare that I have a digital platform in which to shout my opinions. Twitter, I have a good policy idea for you. Help you clear out all the spam bots like you're trying to. Just delete every account that has the display name Tyler Durden. Do it now. Don't ask questions. <laughs> I think that's... So my father goes to a website some kind, sometimes called Zero Hedge, where the main byline is a dude who goes by the name Tyler Durden. And I have tried for years to be like, Dad, do not go to this dumb website what anymore. Is it? What even is it? Is it like a news it's supposedly it started as like a website that was specialized in news about like the stock market because he's a stockbroker. OK, but some people speculate that there may be a little bit of Russian influence on there. There's a little <laughs> bit of info wars in the mix. There's a little a little dab of who would who would want stock advice from someone calling themselves Tyler? Durden? I don't know, but yeah, it's it's not. To in his defense, it is not full blown info wars. It's just got a Susan. That's what I said. That's what I said. <laughs> um, well, uh, listen. If, if we're if we're ready, Shannon, you're doing the actual history. Yes, and I'm reading it off actual old timey parchment, which is barely an exaggeration. So, all you, all you, uh, apparently, this is a thing. All you Twitter teens who assumed the movie was entirely fictional. Oh my about, god! I... Uh, what? Finally, apparently, a few years ago, a couple years ago, there was this article I read that had numerous mm-hmm. tweet like screen grabs of teens who were just now discovering the ti- that the Titanic was an actual boat that actually existed and yeah. not made up hold cloth by James Cameron. I was just having this conversation the other day in my college class, not with people who thought it didn't happen, but just about that phenomenon. What the actual fuck? Yeah. I don't think it's actually that uncommon. I think there are plenty of people like you. They saw it when they were like nine or ten years old. I remember watching Titanic on two VHSs when I was like <laughs> seven or eight, and I think my grandma was the one who put it on. Like mm-hmm. kids were exposed to that movie really young because adults were like, "Well, yeah, Kate and Leo have steamy sex in the stagecoach, but it's a classic." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a classic. Ron Howard voiceover, it was not a classic, in my opinion. <laughs> Incidentally, uh, two VHSs is Two Chain's much less successful brother. <laughs> yeah, his original name was Vinny Boy. Be witnessing a breakup in real time. <laughs> hey there, this is Brian reminding you that the revisionist is supported by listeners just like you. You can make a pledge and get rewards like shirts and even the right to vote over at patreon.com slash the revisionists. Anywho, it's the story of the sinking of the RMS Titanic, 1912. A story that teaches us what can go wrong will go wrong at every possible turn. This is a story where ship people know nothing about engineering and engineers know nothing about ships and the rich people who are funding it all know nothing about either. And no (laughs) one's talking to each other. Uh, This is a story where a lot of things are going to fuck up, to put it gently. Um, That was the original slogan for the boat, I think. 
all those multitudinous fuck-ups, and I tried to stick with the most interesting ones for you because there is just a lot of info Mm -hmm. out there. I did just want to put it out there that it's barely been a hundred years since this tragedy. It's crazy that it only happened in 1912. And uh, even though I might have some fun at the expense of the people who were involved in the building and sailing of the ship. I don't want to make it seem like I'm making fun of the innocent people who lost their lives because a lot of, uh, you know, immigrants and Mm. poor people who didn't really have an understanding of what was going on and what was going to happen to them were among uh, the majority of those killed. So I just want to be sensitive to that as we go forward because... I know I tend to think of it as almost like a fire festival situation where it was a lot of rich people who got screwed over. And I'm not saying that the rich people deserved to die anymore. It's just, as we'll see as we go forward, they had a lot more chances to escape. And it's pretty right. horrifying well, what happened to the steerage class. I think it's worth noting that if pe- longtime listeners of this podcast have already heard us try i think the reason there's not a lot of history comedy podcasts is because we have to discuss <laughs> things like leopold ii's exploits in the congo which are maybe not the most rife for comedy um but yeah the only the only person the only titanic passenger that we're explicitly making fun of is the boat's appointed bully which i'm gonna say is Billy Biff Tan in Senior Senior? Okay. The one after Mad Dog, but before the main Biff, maybe? <laughs> yeah, Biff Prime. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's dive in because it's going to get real messy real fast. <laughs> so, uh, like all great creative endeavors, the Titanic was born out of spite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> The White Star uh, shipping line, uh, the Titanic was an RMS, which means Royal Mail Ship. So not just passengers, but packages and mail would go with it, which weirdly enough is part of the reason why things go so horribly wrong. So the White Star line needed to compete with the Cunard line's very successful Lusitania. Uh-oh, that name sounds horribly familiar. And their sister ship, the Mauritania. So uh, I got to a lot of, like, real sources that would say, like, legends say or myth has it. And I'm like, that's not a thing that you can say and still be a nonfiction source. So at some point, it's very unclear how White Star Chairman Joseph Ismay... Later on, that elongated section where they have to choose between sailing past Scylla or Charybdis, I think. Fuck off. <laughs> White Star. <laughs> oh. I should have taken less notes. I have a really um, stupid question for you, Shannon, since you've done so much research. Well, I might get to it, but let's have it. Is there Are there any myths or legends uh, about why J.P. Morgan, the owner of the ship, uh, canceled at the last minute and did not take this maiden voyage? No, you know, there are a lot of different... There's a lot of different information about several of the passengers, both rich and poor, mostly rich, let's face it, who either survived or perished in the wreckage. And I actually did not uh, see him mentioned because the people who really took the flack for what happened were the Ismay family, who we will get to, who Mm -hmm. uh, owned the White Star line. More so than the Irish shipping yard that built the Titanic 
or any of the financial backers. And we will talk about one man in particular who kind of became like the Titanic scapegoat. He's in the James Cameron movie and he has been in every fictional retelling of the Titanic story as a villain, even though there's not actually any evidence that he did anything wrong. So yeah, that's one of the things I want to talk about. But um, just before I get into more details, if anyone wants some great sources, there's the Encyclopedia Titanica, which is the official Titanic website. It's really fun. It has a lot of different, um, like, different graphs and programs and toggles and ways of looking at the disaster. And I was actually surprised by the depth of info on the Wikipedia page. There's an article for the Titanic, but then there's a separate article for the Cyclopedia for the sinking of the Titanic that features GIFs that show you at what point in the night the ship was at what angle in the water. So I obviously don't have time to get into any of that because that's just going to be way too much and we wouldn't have time for the fake history, but it's out there and I would recommend anyone to check it out. Those were two of my prime, two of my prime sources. So what was so uh, special about the Titanic, which was, as I was saying before I was interrupted, uh, the White Star Chairman Joseph Bruce Ismay and Lord Peary of the Irish Harlan and Wolf Shipyards idea. She also had two sister ships, the Olympic and the Britannic, and both the Olympic and the Britannic went on multiple smaller successful voyages before the launch of the Titanic. So Mm. what was so special about the Titanic herself? Well, her capacity was a new record. Uh, She'd be able to comfortably hold, including crew members, over 3,540 people, about 3,547. The ship was the longest ever, and it was so huge, the longest of its kind. I like how you started with over 3,540, and then made sure... I wasn't going to give a specific figure, but this is who I am. I actually needed to give them. In case you were looking for that last number. (laughs) If you you need a new combination for your safe, how about 3547? It's the Titanic capacity. Uh, Well, the ship was so long that it took 600 long tons of coal a day. A long ton is apparently more than a ton. So 600 long tons of coal, I believe that's about 600 tons. Um... First-class passengers, there were much fewer of them. Their role was really to attract publicity to the ship, <laughs> more so than actual income. That's not... Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm being totally no, serious. Totally. Yeah, like, just like, I picture them like Instagram celebrities. Like, uh, John Jacob Astor, his wife was Molly Astor, the extremely famous and influential New York socialite. She's like the reason we have debutante balls in America, basically. Uh, Benjamin Guggenheim was on the boat of the very wealthy uh, Guggenheim family. And uh, as you mentioned, the J.P. Morgan family was involved. Basically, all the big families from the Gilded Age, everyone had someone there, as evidenced by the first episode of Downton Abbey, which begins because the male heir to Downton dies on the Titanic. Um, And I think since technically we're a part of the Denver Podcast Network, we'd be remiss not to mention... Molly Brown, because in Denver, of course, you can go to the Molly Brown house, which some comedian once described as a house you can go to to see the home of a woman who once didn't die on a boat. (laughs) That really understates her role, and I I disagree completely. I wrote about Molly Brown, but she really only came into her own as a philanthropist after the wreckage. And her house is actually like a block and a half from here. I should maybe not say that. 
She was considered at this point. She was she considered small you. potatoes, but she's going to have a totally <laughs> different turn of fate after the actual uh, wreckage. So, just to give you an idea of what the best first class ticket was like at the time, it cost four thousand three hundred fifty dollars, which in twenty eighteen dollars is about one hundred ten thousand three hundred ten dollars. Fuck. One, that's the top of the line. That's where we're like the Astors and the Guggenheims would have been. Um, but the majority of the tickets were sold to second and third class passengers. And it was actually some of the nicest steerage accommodations ever. Some of the people who were taking the Titanic third class had a nicer home situation on the Titanic than they had had in their home countries. Unfortunately, a language barrier was a big factor for these passengers. There were a lot of Irish immigrants, and they will be represented disproportionately among the third class survivors because they could understand the ship's crew by speaking English. There was a lot of immigrants from France, Russia, Sweden, um, Armenia, and they could not speak English at all. So they were completely at the mercy of the crew. And there were um, many fewer first class passengers per steward than in the third class. Like, if you were a first class steward, you maybe had two families to look after. If you were a third class steward, you probably had to keep track of like a hundred people. So... Just to give you an idea, things are already setting up to be not good. They picked up most of the ship's crew at the British city that they launched from. So most of the ship's crew had never been on the Titanic before they got on to sail away on it. There were no lifeboat... Uh, there were there was one, like, half-assed lifeboat drill that they didn't actually even practice sending them, like, fully all the way down to the water. And there were far fewer lifeboats... Then they needed, uh, even though the boat was only at half capacity, they had 892 crew members and 1,320 passengers. But like I said, that was only about half capacity because... uh, It could hold (laughs) 3,547. Since Zach already interrupted you, um, I want (laughs) to... I feel a need to get some of this information out there just to give you guys an idea of how fucking bad it's going to get. I just, so so you mentioned um, that this, by the way, uh, the story of the Titanic is probably um, the biggest reason why I am afraid of boats and also the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, but this gift that you mentioned is fucking amazing. Yeah, like, it's, it's not really scary cool. at all because the water's purple <laughs> and it's basically a cartoon. Um, it's super cool. You guys, I'm just watching the Titanic break she, and have and sink over and over this whole time. Jen says it's not scary now, but if you watch long enough, the face from the exorcist pops up and there's a scream. <laughs> <laughs> and then a cat just knocks the Titanic into the water. That's the, that's my <laughs> gift. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Shannon. It's all good. <laughs> So it actually could have been much worse, as bad as it is, because they could have had twice as many people. But they were affected by a coal miners' strike and the fact that it was like an off-season for the shipping schedule. It's really weird to think of the Titanic as a giant mail boat, which is why I wanted to include that fact, because yeah, I was like, huh. Did not realize so, that. Captain Edward John Smith 
he is someone who I think most people like recognize in the Titanic story. He has a white beard. He's very distinguished looking. The guy they cast in the James Cameron movie looks totally like pictures of him. Mm-hmm. Well, there's good news and bad news about <laughs> Edward John Smith. Isn't that always the case when it comes to white men, especially? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very capable at the job. He was 62 and he had been a sailor for four for decades. He had also sailed uh, the Titanic sister ship, the Olympics, several times successfully on shorter voyages. But he's presiding over a crew where only about 5% are sailors. There are six watch officers and 39 seamen for the entire ship. And again, most of them were taken on in Southampton, where the ship departed from. Things get even weirder because they chose to launch the ship even though part of it was already on fire. There was a fire that began April 1st in one of the coal bunkers. It was not put out until April 14th, four days after the ship had already departed on its voyage. That's actually the day it sank, too. The fire was put out the morning it sank. So... There There is something... I have you have to admit about this person, uh, the idea of somebody who like for two weeks they've been dealing with this fire and they finally put it out. And he's just exactly. wiping his hands like our troubles are over. Yeah, there Got are things about this story done. that are funny. Hence my disclaimer. I didn't want people to think I was being insensitive because there are things you read it. You're just like, how? It's yeah. like a cartoon. You're in the water. Like how? Yeah. If yeah, it, it reminds me. Uh, things like that remind me always of uh, you can always listen to this episode too, listeners, but the uh, the story of the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, mm-hmm. which is obviously the story about some people being murdered, but is hilarious <laughs> because it's like a Keystone Cop misadventure of an assassination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the Stooges got together and assassinated a head of state and sparked a world war. Exactly. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> So they pick up uh, people where they depart from in England, and they're headed for New York City, of course, uh, on April 10th, and then they hit up France for a few more passengers. Then the next day, on April 11th, they pick up uh, quite a few more people in Queenston, Ireland. And I just wanted to say... I think this is part of the reason the Titanic has such enduring cultural appeal. I think Americans are fascinated with the English, and the English are fascinated with Americans at certain points in history. Mm-hmm. And this story, because it's like half American people, half English and Irish people, scratches that Gilded Age itch of the Buccaneers and, you know, uh, to marry an English lord, Downton Abbey, all of that so perfectly. I think I really think that's yeah. part of the reason it's captured our cultural attention th- in America. Another thing that I think is definitely a factor is the dichotomy between the richest people on earth and some extremely poor folks living down below. Like there's a real like the help and the lords in Downton Abbey or what have you. And it's Upstairs, something that downstairs. James Cameron played with a lot mm. in his film. It's probably part of the reason why I was so successful. Yes. <laughs> so things get even more ominous. I know you didn't think that was possible, but it's true. Um, there was actually a mild winter, which was part of the problem. A gentle breeze was basically just blowing icebergs off the edge of Greenland, kind of blowing them deeper into the water. 
uh, there was a waning crescent moon. So there was barely a moon in the sky. It made the night much, much darker than it would have been otherwise. There was a case of binoculars that was supposed to get put on the boat in Southampton. (laughs) And it accidentally got left behind because of a shipping mistake. Oh, so there's I a think lot there of little was, um... oopsie daisies <laughs> that are piling up, almost like a set of dominoes being constructed, if you will. If you will. I, I actually will. read somewhere that there was like a set of binoculars that actually made it onto the fucking ship. And they got locked in a storage closet somewhere. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. And no one knew all. who had the key or some like really horrible. No one shit knew like that. Like, that the combination was three, five, or seven. <laughs> You're the only one who remembers that number anymore. Now everyone remembers it. It's like the the Empire commercial. We all know it. <laughs> <laughs> So what you're saying is I shouldn't make that my pen number. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> yeah, Brian has been on the phone with his bank changing his <laughs> pen number. <laughs> Unfortunately, the spooky thing is, even if they had had the binoculars, it was so dark because of the lack of moon that it really wouldn't have done any good, is basically what everyone says. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to the morning of April 14th. <laughs> now Great things day, become an hour-to-hour hour situation instead of day-to-day situation, and that's how you know shit's gonna hit the fan. When I start <laughs> telling you what happens at different times of day instead of different days of the week. <laughs> so uh, between about 9 o'clock a.m. and around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, six different ships radio the Titanic to tell them that there are icebergs ahead and it is not safe. There are two radio operators, but they're a combination of not worried enough and distracted. If you can believe it, the radio had been broken for two days before that point. So they had a backlog of messages that they were supposed to get out. And of course, we have these rich, demanding passengers with their Guggenheimy business deals and whatever. I'm sure there was legitimate pressure to get those messages out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's bad. When they finally get... <laughs> <laughs> and from what I understand, like, the wireless messages were, like, that was a really, really new thing at the time. So I think some passengers actually just, like, wanted to send one to send one. <laughs> that was like having a car phone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, like I said at the beginning of this podcast... Anything that can fuck up does fuck up. There is not a single thing that goes right from before the Titanic launches. Um, Yeah, so they get the message to the captain about what's going on. Let me take you back in time to a year before the Titanic launched. (laughs) Captain of the future captain of the Titanic is giving an interview in the newspaper about ships like this. And he says that ship building technology has come so far that even if they did crash into an iceberg, it wouldn't break the ship. That is on the record what the captain believed. For he just said, like, he's like, I've been a sailor my whole life. These ships these days are so great. And I'm sure they were great compared to how they were in, like, the 1870s or whatever. But, like, come on, Captain Edward, get with the times. They're not indestructible. He believes that they are. There's some legends and myths that uh, 
J. Bruce Ismay, who was like the main financial backer who was on board, he was the managing director of the White Star Line, was telling them like, don't slow down, speed ahead, I want to break a record and get to NYC earlier. But there's no evidence that that happened. He would actually have no mm. motive for doing that. That wasn't really where his money or prestige was coming from. So Unless he had tickets for Hamilton. Or they like really something. just thought <laughs> that the boat could survive it, which is the crazy thing. Um, so at 11.39 p.m., mm. right before midnight, it must have been spooky as hell. Uh, <laughs> this is the point at which the famous line, Iceberg Right Ahead, was uttered by uh, one of the only six lookouts on the boat, one of only two who was on duty, Frederick Fleet. Some of the passengers had even been able to see the iceberg from the deck of the ship, but they just went to bed because they thought it was no big deal. The sea was like glass, so smooth that the stars were clearly reflected, according to some of the few survivors. We know now that that's a sign of an iceberg. They could also see a mirage-like haze rising over the water. That was, of course, the warm air and the cold iceberg meeting with each other. But again, this is all stuff that the people seeing it did not know at the time. So, I just had a stupid thought that I thought I would share with you all. <laughs> Please! That's the whole podcast. <laughs> Well, if you're, so you said earlier that there was, um, like, icebergs were basically being blown around in the wind? Yeah. What if the Titanic didn't hit the iceberg? What if the iceberg hit the Titanic? <laughs> like, what if the iceberg got blown into the Titanic? That, I guess, I don't know a lot about, like, the science behind this. I think it technically could have happened, but we know from the damage to the ship that it did not. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> I, would all, I would have to assume that the Titanic would at the very least be moving considerably faster than it's the iceberg. It's moving quite fast. They did not slow down when they saw what was called an ice field, which was like many smaller icebergs kind of dotting the water. They just didn't slow down at all it's like if i get to like one of those parking garage arms and i'm like fuck it i'm going on <laughs> but i actually think this sounds hauntingly beautiful in the most tragic and macabre way you have to think about it pitch black night no moon but the sea is so clear that you can see the stars in it and there's like a haze rising over the water doesn't that sound like the most beautiful thing to see before you die? Before <laughs> yes. Yeah. That yeah. actually reminds me of like on 9-11 people for a long time after said, no, it was like the most beautiful morning. Mm -hmm. There was yeah. not a cloud in the sky. It was unseasonably warm. Like it was gorgeous that day. There's so, an eeriness to it. It's very mm -hmm. calm. I would say there's definitely a total similarity there. The lesson is, um, if the weather's nice, stay the fuck home. <laughs> Put on a life jacket nothing. just to don't be trust, sure. Hey, yeah. the Titanic taught us, don't trust bad signs, don't trust good signs. Jen. Don't trust things that go wrong, and don't trust things that go right. And Jen, I would say that was the official motto, if I'm not mistaken, of the Donner Party. And it worked out <laughs> excellently for them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh if you can believe it 
At this point, Captain Edward and the crew attempt to do what was basically a three-point turn around the iceberg <laughs> without slowing down. It's called a port around, and I could go through, like, the starboard port details of describing it to you. It's a three-point turn. Imagine doing a three-point turn with your car, but it's a big-ass boat. And it has, like, uh, six fucking huge-ass coal engines. And the propellers, which were next to the rudder, were just too big to make a sharp turn, sharp turn like this. The interesting thing is many of the survivors and relatives of survivors have stories about different members of the crew fucking up at this point, like turning the rudder in the wrong direction, not listening to Captain Edwards' instructions at time, etc. But uh, some of these stories were suggested to have been buried because of like insurance problems and others were suggested to have been cover-ups for other insurance problems so <laughs> it gets into a really sticky like legal wicket because they tried to prosecute people for the sinking of the titanic after this disaster when as we're learning now from all this background it really was a combination of a lot of factors <laughs> the titanic slows down like right before it hits the fucking iceberg it's too late it's not a head-on crash but it's a very bad scrape that lasts for seven long seconds chunks of the iceberg fall onto the deck it was rumored at the initial time like in the 1900s the time of the wreckage that the gap it tore must have been 300 feet, but modern forensic evidence tells us it was only 12 feet, and it still managed to wreak the incredible damage that it did. Part of the problem was that most of the Titanic was built with steel joinders, but the hull had wrought iron joinders that weren't as strong. Why? I don't understand. <laughs> I genuinely don't understand. It might be a flexibility thing, but it seems more just like a like aesthetic fucking choice that went wrong so it was it was doomed from the start uh, the uh, wrought iron joiners were already straining from the day the titanic was put in the water like they would have just popped apart at a certain point i don't think the titanic would have ever made a second journey even if it had made it to new york city because it was just ultimately it was luxurious and i appreciate that it was luxurious even for the third class passengers but it was very poorly made Flooding starts in the lower compartments. Um, I'm giving you like a really, really sped up version of what happened. Uh, so the engineers and coal workers and people down there were the first to die. They were working like waist deep in freezing water by the time a lot of them started getting to the point where they were drowning. Um, and flooding wasn't supposed to be able to move through the compartments because they were airtight and watertight but only where they met the floor. If the water rose high enough, it could go through open spaces at the top of the compartments and begin to flood other compartments, which is, of course, exactly what happened. Mm. Now, it's midnight. It's the 15th of April, technically. Uh, <laughs> literally at like 12.05 after midnight, Captain Edward starts telling everyone, his crew, that they need to start loading people into the lifeboats. 
But here's where I have some not-so-great stuff to share about the captain. He did a really bad job. He gave crew members conflicting instructions. Some crew members thought it was women and children first. Some crew members thought it was women and children only. And as a result, they pulled out firearms to start threatening men who were trying to get on the lifeboats. Most of the lifeboats could carry 68 people. They held less than 40 when they were loaded off the Titanic. Uh. They were just not filling them even close to high enough. Like, uh, several women were injured when larger men jumped down onto them, including one woman, who, one woman whose ribs were broken. Oh, Jesus. Shit started to get very gnarly, and Captain <laughs> Edward... <laughs> I just pictured Captain Smith on the bow. Just. Well, you got to picture this super dignified guy from the James Cameron movie because that's exactly what he looked like. And yeah, he's portrayed Ocean as Santa. such a hero yeah. in like every movie and version I've seen. Sorry, folks. This guy was in a fugue state. He was realizing that everyone was going to die and it was all his fault and there was no way to save them. Because even if everything had gone perfectly, still at least half the passengers and crew would have likely died. So Captain Edward basically at this point his body is there but his brain is not like he's seen like wandering around in a stupor he's still giving very conflicting instructions and everything is just a disorganized mess someone has the idea for the ship's band to play and myths and legends will tell you that they played nearer my god to thee i'm actually happy to say that that never happened they were playing (laughs) upbeat, cheerful music that was supposed to keep the people calm. They were not playing a dirge about how they were about to die. (laughs) I think that legend started... Of course, uh, they played Crossroads by Bone Thugs in Harmony. (laughs) Apparently that legend started because people were requesting it, which is so tragic. Um, As any DJ can tell you, requests are the worst. They had also, like, what's the only way you could make this situation worse? <laughs> well, buckle up. Yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> so, uh, things are getting really violent. There's a small faction of people who don't understand what's happening. Some of them have gone back to bed because they just don't want to be out in the cold. The crew is not doing a good job explaining to them that it's life or death. There are men playing soccer with chunks of ice that fell off the iceberg onto the deck. Uh, yeah, so imagine all of this with, like, like, really, like, jazzy ragtime music (laughs) playing in the background. One of the radio operators is trying to radio for help when a crew member from below deck comes up and tries to kill him for his life jacket. So the radio operator kills him instead. So we have crew members murdering each other now as other crew members fire warning shots into the air to keep certain men from getting on the boats, even though those boats are not at capacity. Uh, so... Really, whether or not you survived, if you were a passenger on the Titanic, would be entirely in the hands of your steward. Just like I talked about at the beginning, the first class passengers had pretty much a steward per family. They were all being safely and calmly guided to the boats. In contrast, the third class passengers have their coats and suitcases and are sitting below deck waiting for someone to lead them up. It's hard to wrap our minds around as Americans who live in this day and age, but this was a class of people who was trained, you know, that subservience to the upper classes was a virtue. It was deeply baked into their culture, you know. 
they didn't have an understanding that these people were not going to look out for them the way that they trusted them to. And at a certain point, supposedly to keep a certain amount of air inside the ship, the crew members locked the doors, leaving behind screaming children, crying women, you know, entire families. Uh, at that point, one of the few third-class survivors, and there are barely any, says that what happened is they all gathered in the third-class dining room and just started praying. They completely gave up for any chance of survival, which they had no chance of survival. So that is incredibly, incredibly terrible. The lifeboats themselves are not doing well. The crew members had no idea how to properly lower them into the water, so many of them took on water and people died of hypothermia in the lifeboats because of the water that the lifeboats had taken on. Several of them capsized. Uh, probably the most notable survivor at this point is Molly Brown, who was mentioned earlier in the show. She was a wealthy woman, but not one of, like, the insanely uber-wealthy people. And she was known for encouraging the crew member who was captaining her lifeboat to try to go back and save people. Um, unfortunately, it's unlikely that her boat actually saved anyone, because as that crew member told her... Anyone in the water was likely already past saving. Of all the people who didn't make it into the lifeboats, only 13 survived. That's the, of the entire crew that stayed with the ship, most of the, pretty much the entire third class. And to give you an idea of the type of person that suffered the heaviest casualties, 92% of the second class men on board died. They were the biggest group to die for whatever reason. Um, just to give you an idea of how the demographic is going down, there were six first-class children on board, and five of them survived. One of them died because of an accident. Her mother got off the lifeboat with her in her arms, and they both died because they were trying to find her father and brother. The little brother was eventually saved, so that's incredibly tragic. But to put that in perspective, of the 79 third-class children on board, 52 died. So there's a lot of people who are just given up on um, mm -hmm. because of their class. Uh, again, I don't want to make it seem like I think the rich people like deserve to die or something, but the numbers are just so, so skewed. Mm -hmm. uh, so the Carpathia was another ship that was coming to rescue them. But unfortunately, by the time the Carpathia got there, the ship had tilted 45 degrees uh, one end into the air, between 30 and 45 degrees. There's some dispute, of course. And then it sank. <laughs> There's also dispute about whether it split in half or not before it sank. But most of the survivors say once the boat was underwater, there was a terrible, unearthly noise. And that was probably the boat splitting in half. Some of the survivors never recovered from this ordeal. And I don't think that has as much to do with the wreck itself as with the witnessing everyone dying in the water of hypothermia. I think I mean, that either, we... Either one would do it. Yeah I, yeah. I mean, there are people who died like eight months after surviving the Titanic because of the trauma of oh, surviving the wreckage of the Titanic. There was one of them, um, I think one of the lookouts um, hanged himself like a year or two after... Um, the sinking because he survived and he like blamed himself. Mm -hmm. That doesn't surprise me at all. Um, 
Yeah, the only surviving, like, upper crew member died eight months later from a stroke. He was, like, the only member of, like, the commanding staff that survived. Oh, um, so people said the sound of the dying was, like, locusts. You know, it was, like, a, like, horrifying sound that really continued for a long, long time. I'm not going to get into the graphic details of that, but I just, I think it's, <laughs> I mean, Sorry. I could, there are specific I stories I think, I think that's graphic enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not going to get into the graphic details of that, but I just wanted to say, I think that we, like, as a pop culture, mm-hmm. have latched onto like the idea of the oh Leo could have gotten onto the wreckage with her haha joke and like mm-hmm. laughing at the scene of the old people die laying down to die together and like laughing at the mother reading her children to sleep because those scenes are really cheesy and overwrought in the James Cameron film mm-hmm. but I also think that we are just like not equipped to deal with wrapping our minds around this kind of horror like I think that's why so many of these survivors died shortly after making it because the human mind and the human eyes are just not meant to comprehend uh, certain things. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, one of the people on the lifeboats who did survive was J. Bruce Ismay. J. Bruce Ismay is the guy I alluded to earlier. Um, His family, the Ismay family, controlled the White Star Line. He was managing director. And a lot of people felt that he should have gone down with the ship, like a lot of the crew did, including Captain Edward, who likely actually jumped off the sinking ship to kill himself before it actually sank. Um, Apparently, J. Bruce Ismay, like, actively was helping people get onto the lifeboats. He was one of the only managing staff members who was able to, like, keep Mm -hmm. a level head. And he got onto the very last lifeboat that departed. And they were all under capacity. So I don't really see him as a villain for doing that necessarily. I understand, like, Mm -hmm. the idea, especially for the time period, that he should have gone down with the ship. But he has even been portrayed in movies and TV shows as dressing as a woman. Because, you know, there's nothing more villainous than a man in drag Mm -hmm. uh, to sneak onto the lifeboats and stuff. But that was totally not the case. So I just wanted to throw that in there. That's a really weird little, like, historical thing. The Hearst family of papers, like, Hearst and this guy had a falling out. So Hearst was just like, all right, I'm going to destroy you and make it seem like you were entirely responsible for the sinking of Titanic and yet the only person who survived it. Yeah, he personally blew the iceberg into the ship right now. Yeah, (laughs) with a little straw. (laughs) A plastic straw. There was a first mate named Murdoch who was, uh, according to eyewitnesses, saved, like, got a number of people under the lifeboats. But in the Titanic film, he is portrayed shooting a few people and then killing himself, which there's no record of that happening. The family, uh, his family, like, went after James Cameron for defaming him after that movie came out. Yeah. A lot of families were separated in the chaos. That's how I said that one little first class girl died. Her nanny and little brother got onto one boat while her and her mother panicked and got off to try to find them. It was just like lots of things like that. Lots of Mm -hmm. Uh, wives choosing to stay behind with their husbands, husbands urging their wives to go ahead. Um, And apparently when the survivors did get to shore in New York, there was a lot of 
people waiting for them and it was a site that was really memorable and sparked a huge level of public outrage over uh, everything that happened with the Titanic. Pretty much from top to bottom, uh, it caused public outrage. Everything from the treatment of the steerage passengers who were trapped in part because of U.S. immigration laws. They had to go through Ellis Island and couldn't disembark with the first and second class passengers. So Mm. uh, long story short, in terms of its legacy, it changed pretty much everything about shipping laws and the way ships were built and regulations. It changed immigration policy. Molly Brown actually led a coalition of wealthy women who did philanthropic outreach for third-class survivors and their families. I really think that is the contribution that she should be best remembered for, more so than urging the lifeboat to save people because even though those were honorable intentions, it was too late. But just to end on a somewhat positive note, I was more impressed with the fact that even after she survived this, she kind of threw her whole life into trying to help the people who were less fortunate than her and didn't even have the opportunity to have a chance at survival. So um, that's why she deserves the untitable, unsinkable Molly Brown. Mm-hmm. And honestly, probably the best titanic related play or movie because there are so many yes (laughs) kathy bates come on she plays i do love kathy bates in the james cameron movie that's all i have about the titanic folks it was a heavy one to research i gotta say i didn't even talk about all the dogs that died we almost got away with it <laughs> if, if it hadn't been for you meddling kids. Yeah. Now we have to list this podcast on does the die dog dogdie.com as a yes. <laughs> Three survived, but they didn't say which ones, which was stressful for me. Oh no. Hey, just to uh just to jump in here, uh I stepped on Shannon saying this earlier, but uh we all wanted to make it clear that uh a total of one thousand five hundred and three people uh died in the Titanic. Uh, so we wanted to make sure we got that out there. Hello, everybody. I'm J.D. Lopez, the host of Left Hand Right Brain. It's a free-flowing, wide-ranging conversation that I have with artists doing interesting and creative things here in Denver and beyond. We talk about their personal stories, break down their creative process, and what motivates them. Spoiler alert, it's mostly spite. We talk about all these things and more while kicking back, cracking wise, and always having a good time. You can find old episodes and everything you need to know at lefthandrightbrainpod.com. Um, before I get started on um, my real history here, um, <laughs> I do want to say my my favorite fact about the unsinkable Molly Brown is that her friends actually called her Maggie. Yeah, that's cute. <laughs> no. Like, no, no one nicknames. called her Molly except, like, the newspapers. Mm-hmm. Like, she was actually known as, which I That's I funny because Maggie yeah. Brown is catchy, too. The unsinkable yeah. Maggie Brown, you yeah. know, either way. They both have think, the same kind of cadence. Do you think she moved to Denver to be as far away from the ocean as possible? <laughs> yes, I do. I, I actually seriously do. <laughs> I would do that if I was her. Yeah. Old-timey nicknames make no sense anyway. Like, Peggy is a nickname for Margaret? Excuse me? I yeah. don't think so. Where did that even come from? Look, everyone was on, what is it, laudanum? Yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. laudanum, opium. And also drunk. Yeah, drunk. Which brings me to um, <laughs> my, uh, so so this is actually, so 
so I, I appreciate all the research that you did, Shannon. <laughs> um, but I I also did some research. Uh, the the real story of the Titanic um, has been kept secret for over a hundred years. So this mm-hmm. is actually very very exciting that we are getting. To, <laughs> I hope to I'm have wrong. Trust me, I don't want any of those facts that I just said to be true. Please disprove them. Except for one the one, or, one or two about three thousand five hundred forty seven passenger capacity. <laughs> three thousand five hundred forty eight. Actually, oh, this well, I mean, if you count the dogs. No! Sorry! <laughs> <laughs> it took um, seven times as long for that. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Okay. Also the opposite of how dog years work. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping no one would call me out on that. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. So I actually did some of my own research. I found um, some never-before-seen diaries in the basement of the Molly Brown house. Um, and so so we now know the truth, which the White Star Line does not want us to know. <laughs> so funny, you guys. White Star, it's all coming together. Yeah. <laughs> White Star, basically a pentagram. So that's Da Vinci Code right there. Mm-hmm. So first of all, the, the first big inaccuracy the titanic did not hit an iceberg icebergs are not even real you guys <laughs> which is long. yeah it's really just a joke for our future listeners <laughs> they're saying they were made up to lie to us that global warming is real right exactly <laughs> like polar bears oh sorry <laughs> Um, the Titanic was not just the White Star Line's largest Olympic-class luxury liner. It was also the world's first booze cruise. <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. The first-class guests played poker and danced all night in the first-class saloon. There were shuffleboard competitions on sea deck, and steerage was basically a giant frat party. <laughs> they invented a beer pong down there, and oh, the survivors no. kind of carried it on. <laughs> yeah, that is in the James Cameron movie, yeah. though. See? I'm pretty sure Leo the Pussy Posse. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> the Pussy Posse oh, no. was all in steerage class. <laughs> I mean, they, they had rooms in first class. They just went to steerage class. <laughs> That's where all the fun dancing happens. Exactly. The, the governesses and servants really didn't much enjoy the, the uh, trip since they basically got stuck wrangling the kids and dispensing hangover cures in the morning to their uh, grumpy uh, people. That they were unfortunately responsible for. Uh, fun fact: the White Star Line invented the mimosa. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but all of that was overshadowed by what happened very late on the night of August fourteenth, nineteen twelve. Just before midnight, in the middle of the North Atlantic. No one else is around. The Californians gone to sleep and turned off their wireless. No one's looking. <laughs> Uh, the Titanic was contacted by an even bigger ship. Oh. But this one was in the sky. Yes! I was hoping that was going to happen. So we, we actually don't know a lot about the alien life forms <laughs> that made contact with the Titanic. Brian, this is very serious. I don't know why you're laughing. Sorry. I'm just <laughs> going to try to draw them from my memory. Awesome. What we do know 
is that they were super impressed with what they saw. Thomas Andrews, the ship's architect, was the primary reason for the abduction. Um, also, Captain Edward Smith. The aliens had the like the size thing down as far as like the massive ships, um, but they were sort of clunky. They really liked the idea of like a luxurious all night party vessel. And they, they basically wanted their own space Titanic. That is actually a very lifelike uh, drawing of the aliens that uh, that Brian is sketching for us right now. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you, Brian. Brian's drawn like a third grade level drawing of a traditional gray alien. <laughs> Picture an alien. You're picturing Brian's drawing. <laughs> so the the actually the story about the lack of sufficient lifeboats um is it's it's very affecting and it did lead to new regulations that did prevent later loss of life um but that's not really what happened on the titanic um i mean you'd have to be fucking crazy to sail through like the north atlantic without enough lifeboats right like who in their right mind would fucking do that um the the aliens were actually inspired by an 1898 novel called futility Wherein, and this is true, an unsinkable ship named Titan hits an iceberg and sinks with too few lifeboats on board. They were like, that's our cover story. It's perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Real quick, I should throw that in there. In my version, which could, again, as Jen's saying, be totally wrong. I read that one of the stewards survived the crash of the Titanic to also survive the crash of her sister ship, the Britannia. So... I Make of that what that you will. Too. What an and unlucky I slash the lucky Lusitania person. Lusitania was a sister. How many fucking? No, the Lusitania was the rival ship from the Cunard oh, line. Okay. They were frenemies. I think yeah. I learned <laughs> that this was all yeah. a false flag operation just so the big government could choke out independent businesses with shipping regulation. <laughs> <laughs> they were sick of uh, Galt's premium steel that rendered ships unsinkable, <laughs> so they sabotaged them. It's an inside job. <laughs> so in so in reality um shannon you will be very happy to know um most people just left with the ship and the dogs too i assume the dogs too yeah people oh weren't going to leave their poor dogs behind um and yes they beamed up the entire fucking ship to study oh, I'm it. I'm so glad. Yeah. Beam them um, up to heaven. <laughs> exactly. Most women, um, mostly moms and rich ladies, didn't really want to go. They didn't want to leave their families or raise their kids in like an alien world. They were like, I mean, I, you know, we, they I didn't know what was going to be there. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't want to raise my own kids. Um, <laughs> but all the people in steerage were like, obviously fuck this <laughs> yes exactly this is this is what we're gonna get to that um yeah and i mean most of most of like the the first class ladies fucking hated their husbands anyway so they were like yeah all right with good reason you can go probably. and i'll just take the insurance money yeah so they made out really well um steerage passengers were also super fucking psyched they were like you know what? We're dirt poor here on Earth. Like, no one gives a shit about us. We're going to go be space celebrities. <laughs> also, side note, that's where we get the Kardashians. But that's oh. for another episode. I thought you were going to go with a sort of Billy Pilgrim thing. Uh, no. 
That's about PTSD, Brian. Oh, sorry. <laughs> My B. Hey, the Titanic's got PTSD in <laughs> Just ask for Jay Bruce's, May. Now, can I... You say that they pulled the entire ship up. Did they, like, put a little replica down there so James Camera would have something to obsess about? So James Camera could film it with his body? James yeah, Camera. famous director that, James Camera. He's he the man the who's camera. just a camera who also doesn't know how to write movies under two hours. Because he's a camera. Cameras can't write things. If his name was James Typewriter, maybe yeah, we'd have course. some good script. <laughs> I wish his name was James Good Character Design, because those <laughs> avatar creatures are real creepy. Again, just James Camera. He, he is not, really, we're judging him far too harshly. Are we, though? No. <laughs> so anyway, I, that, is a good, that is a good point, Zach, and, and we will get there. Okay. Um, so it is true that some of the lifeboats for people that didn't want to go were launched half full of people. Um, but they were just also so few people who didn't want to go. Yeah. And they were also half full of booze. Like the other half of the boat was just full of like crazy. Oh, I thought you were going to say taco bar for some. No, they, it, no, it was all fucking booze. Um, they thought it would keep them warm until like in the cold, cold night until like another ship came to, to pick them up. Um, and then once like everyone who was going was kind of off. The aliens, like, to cover everyone's asses, they dropped a replica shipwreck in its place. <laughs> um, they missed their mark almost entirely, though, which is why it took so long to find it. The wreck itself was not found until 1985. And again, this is also true because it was 13 miles away from its last radioed location. Hmm. Hey, if the wind can blow icebergs, the wind can blow anything <laughs> is what I'm learning. Anyway, so so the people who were left behind in the lifeboats and later picked up by the Carpathia, they were super confused. Firstly, because everyone over 12 was fucking plastered. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone under 12 was just sort of buzzed. Yeah, exactly. Um, and secondly, it, like it was mostly women left and like who's going to fucking believe them, right? <laughs> anyway, that's the Titanic. Zoinks. <laughs> <laughs> I think your story turned me into a Republican. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh no. Federal regulations are the death of industry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, oh, Jen, I'm just kidding, you. folks. It would take a lot more than aliens to turn me into a Republican. Jen, <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. Of course. Glad I'm glad to shed a little bit of light on this hundred year old <laughs> mystery. Um, listeners, before we move on, uh, as Zach mentioned earlier, this is part of the Denver Podcast Network, uh, along with such other shows as Denver Orbit, which is an audio magazine featuring uh, local writers and musicians and creative types uh, that just won this this year's uh, Westward Web Award for Best Podcast. Uh, so check out Denver Orbit. Um, don't know why I hit that so hard with the enunciation. Um, we also ask that you review this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, your podcast service of choice. Um, I am. Are we on Stitcher? Yeah, we're on Stitcher. Um, I didn't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> 
the look in your eyes. Um, I thought we were. Uh, this is, unimp- I I could. I thought we were for a while. We weren't. We're on. Um, so, uh, also you can interact with this podcast via our website, revisionistpodcast.com, where we are currently uh, asking you for your crazy Jack the Ripper conspiracy theories uh, or just regular theories. Uh, We are starting our four-episode run covering different Jack the Ripper suspects, uh, which should take us straight into Shocktober. Um, So that'll that'll be a treat. An extended Shocktober this year. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Halloween. Shocktober in July? I was... Yeah. <laughs> well, August, but yeah. Um, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas in July, Shocktober in August. We all know where the holidays fall. <laughs> Time is a construct. Um, also, I don't know, it's hot. I can't remember if you said this. Review us on iTunes yeah, and write words. And Stitcher. Write what you... Write what you learned, like write the capacity of the Titanic, something you learned from this podcast. (laughs) Write all of our pin numbers. Uh, um, I think that's it. Um, I mean, I feel like I do have to ask what Jen and I are both wondering. Did you guys choose to have us on for the Titanic episode specifically because, like, your hearts will go on for us? Or was it a random (laughs) girlfriend to subject choice? Uh, I think um, it, it was sort of it just turned out that way I actually um, so I, I have things to promote and I was like I'm gonna be on your podcast and Brian was like okay and I was like I want to talk about the Titanic it's terrifying uh, <laughs> it's really all of this Brian, is my fault I thought Brian was doing it because the theme was like romance and I was like oh okay well, the what's, Titanic yes Jack and Rose yes what's Rose more romantic than promotion yes. um, hypothermia yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well as I mentioned you have a uh, you have an ebook out now on uh, amazon.com which is coming out after the prime day strike so we can all yeah, yo dude fuck yeah <laughs> Sorry. No, apologies for using Amazon, but it was easy and free, you guys. Um, The story is called Us What's Left. It is a zombie story, and it is 99 cents. Um, So go fucking buy it and uh, leave a review. Leave a review for my book um, instead of this podcast, actually. And the review review for for her book, if you could include the capacity of the Titanic (laughs) somehow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just a very Shannon very slowly eclipsed us with the uh, the middle finger uh, you also are the publisher of Cherry Magazine which digital issues are available yeah we're on hiatus for the summer because uh, I ran out of money for it so we have a digital issue on the Patreon um, for anyone who is subscribing at all mm-hmm. and uh, help raise money to uh, make more print issues Yes, too. please. Um, Listeners, turn off your ears. This is a secret message only for Jen. Hey, Jen. Yeah. Has anyone ever done a zombie story of, like, the Titanic where everyone who hits the water becomes a zombie? 
because there's a million dollar idea for a story that no one's allowed to take because this was a secret message for Jen only. <laughs> Holy fucking shit, Titanic zombies. I mean, That's I guess terrifying. people would consider it to be in poor taste if it was like the actual Titanic because of what they mm. believe mm. about the shipwreck. Mm. But it could be a similar thing where it's like a huge ship and like as soon as people die in the water, they become like swimming, snarling zombies trying to pull the lifeboats full of living people down. Wouldn't that be the scariest thing ever? That would yeah. literally be the scariest thing ever. Yes. <laughs> we could just call it like the Titan, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You would just say it was based on that old sci-fi story. It's actually perfect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Holy shit. That is a good idea. Um, okay, everyone else can start listening again. Yeah, no, you, can, you can listen again. You can come back into the room. Put your headphones back on. <laughs> um... Also, you are the newly minted co-host of the Mutiny Book Club, along with friend of the show, Byron Graham. I am. Um, Tale of Two Cities, coming right up for that. Hell yeah! Uh, and you and I, together, are uh, the new co-hosts of Queen City Companion, a uh, all-fall storytelling show at uh, Mutiny. <laughs> I'm trying to do a pirouette without standing up or turning away from a microphone, <laughs> so it's not working out very well. <laughs> Um, and Zach and Shannon, you, uh, you two, are there any Royals news also? No, not yet. We live in in fear. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's fear of it being canceled or fear of it being renewed. I honestly can't tell anymore. But the old episodes of, uh, Stage of Fools, which is the show we co-host about a bad E! television network about a fictional royal family loosely based on Hamlet, are available on your podcast app of choice. Here's um, what I would compare it to. Like, I used to listen to the podcast Rose Buddies that Griffin and Rachel McElroy did, mm-hmm. which was about The Bachelor and Bachelorette. I'd never watched The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. I just liked Griffin and Rachel, a couple who's kind of charming, <laughs> to tell me this stupid story. <laughs> well, what if there was another couple telling you a stupid story, but we're not podcasting royalty? Hey, that's Stage of Fools. <laughs> um... Also, I was thinking today, oh, we've never had four people on, except we have. We did once have four people on in the very special, not very comedic episode that aired right after the last election. And uh, I was thinking, since I don't have anything else to promote, if you don't want another sad episode where we drown our sorrows into the microphone... Go ahead and register to vote and then do that in November. There's some deadlines coming up, people. And vote yep. for the ones that aren't awful. Vote like it's the last chance you'll ever have to vote because it might be. <laughs> yep. That's a that's a hell of a promo. Yeah. <laughs> Not Just wrong, when we thought we couldn't get darker than the Titanic and it was a beautiful day on 9-11. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I will not take full responsibility for the level of moroseness here. Yeah, Jen also brought up the dogs. So. Yeah, it's it's mostly my fault. And I'm fine, so like I... <laughs> um, Wouldn't it have been more disrespectful not to even mention the dogs? They make it seem like I don't care, no, but I do care. Um, as long as there were no cats. Um, oh, Ryan, don't take me down that path. No. Um, uh, <clears throat> sorry. Um, I already mentioned that uh, Jen and I are going to be co-hosting Queen City. Um, and starting September 15th, uh, uh, I'll be hosting a new show at the Comedy Room Room in Denver 
uh, called Know Your Shit. Uh, that is basically comedy TED Talks um, from people who don't always know what they're talking about. So it's going to be real fun. Uh, that's going to be the third Saturday of Wait, every month. Know Your Shit is supposed to be funny? Yeah. Isn't Zach Welch talking about the AIDS epidemic? Or dinosaurs, he said. He couldn't decide. Oh, okay. Probably dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, Zach Welch. Yeah, uh, geez. I thought the Titanic was recent. Holy <laughs> shit. Uh, hey, listeners, if you're in the Portland area, friend of the show Zach Welch is going to be performing at the Queer Comedy Festival uh, there, uh, which I just remembered. My um, rule of thumbs for how recent uh, horrific events are is if everybody who survived would probably be dead by now, it's not that recent anymore. Yeah. The Titanic qualifies for that, then. Actually. I think it does, yeah. The last I mean, survivor but barely. died in, like, 2004, I think. At, like, in the, like the earliest, early most of the survivors I saw listed had, like, very late 90s, early 2000s death mm-hmm. dates. And I don't even think everyone I was looking at was necessarily a child. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying anyone from the Titanic is still alive now. I know they're not. But I'm just saying we just reached that point. So yeah, I yeah. wanted to go into the story with maybe a little extra sensitivity because even if the survivors aren't alive, their families certainly are. Mm-hmm. Of course. That's what was so interesting. There were so many conflicting, like, hearsay stories. Even though I didn't present the myths and legends, I would totally recommend that listeners go out and look at them because they are very interesting. There's even an Anastasia-type story because the one little girl who died in first class, oh, maybe she didn't die. Maybe I, this random person, am her. Spoiler alert, she was not. But there was a whole, like, Anastasia saga that played out with this rich family, so... I also wanted lots um, further reading. Just include a random plug for the Wikipedia page that is um, <laughs> alternate theories about the sinking of the Titanic. I definitely Ooh. clicked on the link, but haven't read it yet. Oh. <laughs> and I want to do a plug for that animated movie that features those sh- like weird talking mice. It's like a weird alternate version of the Titanic. It was made in some weird foreign country. The it's f- terrible. What the some fuck are weird you talking foreign about? country. <laughs> I don't know which... What countries are weird? I don't know. I think it was like Belgium or something. Please tell us. I think it was like Belgium or something. But it's kind of a Fievel Goes West meets the Titanic. But like they alter the story. There's a friendly octopus. It's a terrible movie. (laughs) (laughs) Also, you're right. Belgians are fucking weird. Yeah. (laughs) Somewhere out there really is uh, the follow-up to... my, my heart will go on. <laughs> and it would have been an American tale. And Five goes west. He's in the Old West. All right. <laughs> you, oh no. After he grinds my gears about the number of Brian passengers has a heart the out whole in five time, minutes. he makes fun of me. <laughs> Brian has a heart up out. an American he, tale. He has a thing to host tonight. <laughs> um, well, this also, this brings us to the judgment phase, which is maybe a uh, stickier wicket. Uh than usual this time i don't Uh, think so i know who i would vote for (laughs) yeah (laughs) why would you ever want people to be dead when they could be alive in heaven with aliens instead it's like come sail away by sticks (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i i mean i believe zach and i will be casting votes uh and what i got you should go first brian (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yes brian no i do have which to one s- do you like better <laughs> <laughs> don't do that 
It uh, certainly doesn't complicate things that were both your significant others. <laughs> um, I mean, I do. I think because you know people survived, and the uh, the third class, uh, the steerage class passengers, maybe got to a better situation. Uh, I will cast my vote for the alternate history. Okay. Uh, so I think, again, this was one of the better research real histories we've ever had. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, oh, the yes, alternate. Of absolutely, absolutely. The alternate was uh, happier, obviously. Um, but, and I think, but I think ultimately, uh, because over the last few days, we have seen um, a great deal of disrespect for American democracy. I'm going to leave it in the hands of our listeners <laughs> by canceling out Brian's vote and voting for the real history. Allowing the listeners to be the true deciding voice. We have a true oh. democracy here on The Revisionist. Mouth yeah. open. We are expressing shock. I thought communist space heaven was an easy sell, but I guess <laughs> In the name of democracy, I allow our listeners to make the choice. You do have to admit, though, aliens wiping away social class and saving you from death is like the definition of that fully automated oh. gay communism joke that I everyone I fully makes expect the listeners to choose the alien story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, go look at those fun gifts on Wikipedia and then imagine a world that's not so depressing. That's what I say. <laughs> well, listeners, voting is now open on the Patreon page, uh, or you could just come up and whisper your vote to me. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, just the gleam in Jen's eyes. Um, Shannon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I had, I mean, I had a lot of fun in spite of everything. I almost feel bad saying I had fun, but I did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, they would want us to have fun, I think. Um, Jen, thank you also for... for Who's cruising space? (laughs) Zach, thank you. Uh, Uh, Yep. For everyone here at The Revisionist, I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. Have a good time. (laughs) 